Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Let me pray for us. Father, we just are in awe of your power and presence. The Spirit, Lord, that, that works among us and in us and through us and with us and beside us and all around us. Lord, be with us right now as we continue with the spirit of worship. Worshiping, Lord, what we've already seen and, and heard and said, Lord, but now we, we open the truth of your text and it's still a time of worship, Father. We worship you for your goodness and for your power, Lord, but we worship you because you've given us truth, Lord. You've given us an anchor and a foundation upon which to build our lives. So we worship you and praise you for that. Lord, I pray as we open up that truth, you would just speak again very clearly to us, Father. Make it just evident in our heart what you're doing and what you're saying. And then, Lord, again, through the, through the power of the Spirit, may we be transformed more and more and more, day by day by day, moment by moment, into the image of of Christ Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles and open to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. We are continuing our study this week of the series that we've entitled Sent. And I've, I've started every sermon with a very simple little phrase. I'm going to start it again this morning. I hope it's something that you almost say by memory now because I'm going to keep saying it. We serve a sending God. In fact, let's just say that together. We serve a sending God. God is not distant or uncaring. I had a, just a, I had a conversation this week with somebody in our church talking about some things their family had gone through and they made the comment that, that, that they had kind of heard or someone had thought in the process that they never knew God was personal. They, they thought God kind of started and created the world and then kind of set everything in motion and then just stood back and watched. And, and that's the understanding a lot of people have, but that's not the truth of Scripture. In fact, not only does God want to have this personal, intimate relationship with us, but we have really seen from the beginning that God has sent His people to accomplish His will. And so we saw... Several weeks ago that Jesus was sent. We saw that Isaiah was sent. We saw that Ezekiel was sent. We saw that Paul was sent. It's, just, it's really been amazing to me all the times. And I have to just be very honest with you as, as I've been studying through this with you and trying to understand this more and more. It's amazing to me how many times the Bible actually uses the word sent. It's, it's really been fascinating to me all of the instances. When I started praying about this series and... and kind of working through and in the initial stages of just kind of being aware of this word and kind of what the Lord was doing in my heart, kind of leading me to preach this, I worried that there wouldn't be enough examples. Like maybe we can spend maybe three or four weeks with the word sin, we'd kind of exhaust what we had and we'd have to move to something else, but there's just so many. There are literally hundreds of opportunities in scripture where the Lord uses the word sin and I can't help but believe he means it. I can't help but believe he, he used the word in, in the book of John speaking of Christ over 40 times because he means it. 
I can't help but believe because Christ sent us, we've got a plan and God wants to do something with us and through us. And so we ask the question that we've been asking every week that should challenge you and kind of lead you to to kind of go deeper in your walk and figure out what the Lord's calling you to do. We ask the question, what is God sending you to do? I think I scared the 830 service. I would would never actually do this, so don't be afraid. But just imagine if I called on somebody right now. Now, y'all are going, oh... Imagine if I picked somebody, I know all of you, if I called you out by name and said, what's the Lord sent you to do? What would you say? It's a good question. It's a question we we should be considering and praying through and really answering. And then, after we've answered that question, we should apply it to our lives. If God has called me and sent me to accomplish certain things, what am I doing about it? What am I doing about it? So we've come up with this acronym that'll help us better understand the word sent and we've given each letter kind of a different phrase different word we've already worked through the s spirit empowered we are sent in the power of the spirit you're not sent to do it alone and so time and time and time and time again in the scripture we see that the spirit empowered these people to be sent off and accomplish things last week we moved to e and we said we've been sent we're spirit empowered to be evangelistic God calls us as we go to reach people for Christ. And so if we wanted to kind of summarize up to this point, we would say we are sent in the power of the Spirit to be evangelistic. We are sent in the power of the Spirit to be evangelistic. And so last week we looked at Acts chapter 26. We moved into the E, the idea of evangelistic. We looked at Paul before King Agrippa. And we saw that Paul was sent to be active and we said we are sent to be active and Paul was sent to be evangelistic and we are sent to be evangelistic and Paul was sent to be faithful in sharing and we should be faithful in sharing. So we move this week as we continue our study with the word sent and the calling of the Lord in our lives. We we move our study this week to Luke chapter 10. Now I want to give you just a little bit of background on Luke chapter 10. Many of you are going to be very familiar with this story. But at the time that Christ is going to speak in Luke chapter 10, he's already kind of explained to his disciples that he's going to walk to Jerusalem, willingly be arrested, be crucified, give his life for us, and then three days later he's going to raise from the dead. So there's this very just interesting dynamic that happens with the life and the followers of Christ, right? He's been feeding people and and healing people and do miraculous things and thousands upon thousands upon thousands have followed him and he comes to this moment where he says listen if you're going to follow me you've got to take up your cross follow me I'm going to the cross to die who's with me and his followers just kind of drop off and so it's kind of in this moment between him making that revelation to his followers and his final walk into Jerusalem to give up his life that he makes this incredible statement in Luke chapter 10. Now, it's impossible to do, but oftentimes as I study Christ or the people of Scripture, I try to kind of put myself in their place. What must it have been like for Jesus? And I think if I just kind of told you that my calling in life was to be arrested, to be beaten, to suffer, to be crucified, to die on a cross, if I just told you that's coming up very soon for me, just being very transparent and, and, and very uh, honest with you, probably the last thing I would worry about then at that point is you. I'd be worried about me. 
I mean, look what I'm about to go through. Look what's about to happen to me. And, and instead, we see this just kind of amazing opportunity to, to kind of maybe go a little bit farther into the heart and the depth of who Christ was. He's just announced to these people he's going to suffer and die in the worst, most horrific form of punishment he could ever receive. And in these moments, he's going to make this incredible statement. Look at Luke chapter 10, verse 1. As opposed to being concerned about his own well-being, he says, after this... The Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Now, Christ has just announced his crucifixion. He's literally walking to Jerusalem to die. And with his last few days and last few moments and kind of the dying breath of his life, he's still willing to reach people with the truth of the gospel. Verse 2, he told them, The harvest is plentiful, But the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Now, we're going to focus on these first three verses, but I want to read 4 through 12 because it's interesting what he says to him, Don't to these people. Don't take a purse or bag or sandals. Do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promises peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter town and are welcome to eat what is offered to you, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town, excuse me, when you're... I read the same verse twice. Verse 10, let's try it again. When you enter a town and are not welcome, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this. The kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for this town. Here's the first truth I want you to see. Number one, very simply, we are sent because there is great need. We are sent... Because there is great need. Pull up verse 1 again, please. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and, what's the word? Say it. What's the word? Sent. He sent them two by two ahead of him in every town and place where he was about to go. Go to verse 2. And he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Very simply, Christ sends these people because there is great need. Now, here's the interesting thing about Scripture. When Christ gave this command in the first century, the need was great. There were people in this moment that had not yet heard of Christ, didn't know who he was, had not accepted him. So Jesus understands the need is great. We need to send people into the field so they can share the good news of Christ, the good news of the gospel, because there are people that have not yet heard of Jesus. Now, it's very easy for us, if we're not careful, to take the scriptures and kind of compartmentalize them, put them in a box, kind of put them in their own historical context and think maybe they don't apply to our lives today. Well, let me just be clear about something first of all. The scripture, all of the scripture still applies to our lives today. Very applicable to our lives today first. 
But secondly, the idea that there was great need in the first century is absolutely transferable today. Why? Because there are literally millions of people all around the world that have never heard the name Jesus. So the need was great in the first century. The need is still great today. Now, we've had the opportunity as a church to, to send people all over the world, and we're going to continue to do that. And one of the things we notice when we go to different parts of the world is that the need is great anywhere we go. But we don't ever want to become kind of the church that just focuses on things over there and never really thinks about things here, because here's what we need to say. The need is great all over the world, and the need is great here in Troop County as well. There are people, we could walk out of this church, we could cancel services, Walk out of this church right now and you could walk to somebody's house within just a few minutes that doesn't know Jesus. We have the opportunity when we're in South Asia, I've talked about this before. We have the opportunity to do what they call Luke 10 walks. It's based on this passage of scripture. And they literally get little teams and they go out into the villages or into the streets and they they just go door to door and, and talk to people and they follow this model kind of verbatim. And it it always amazes me because I I just think, and I'm going to say this kind of as the pastor of a big church, we are way too complex over here. We make it way too complicated. See, they, they just take the real simple truth of the gospel and they just apply it to their lives. So the Bible says to go out and to share Christ. The harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Go, don't take a purse or bag or sandals. Okay, let's just do that. Let's just, let's just try this. They don't, have to, they don't have to tweet it out before they go. They don't have to come up with a marketing scheme to let everybody know they're coming. They don't have to put ads on the radio. They don't have to update their website. I'm not, I'm not against those things. I'm not preaching against those things. But it's amazing to me how people around the world, even in our kind of current time, and I know societies are different, I get all that, but they just kind of take the truth of the gospel, they apply it to their lives, and guess what? It works. And so we do these Luke 10 walks over there and we have opportunities oftentimes to talk to people that don't know Jesus. We have the opportunity oftentimes to talk to people who have never heard the name Jesus. See, the, the, the need was great in the first century, but, but I think we've kind of got our, our head in the, in the sand if we don't think the need is still great today. In fact, I was looking at some statistics and I've, I've got a few of those up on the screen I wanted to show you. Kind of some, some rates of growth in our country and stats. Pull the first one up about the, the, the increase of our country. Yeah, so our country, I want you to listen to these numbers. Our country is increasing by a rate of about 7,200 people per day. If you factor in birth, death, immigration, about 7,200 people per day are added to our country. If you multiply that out times a year, you're at about 2.6 million per year. In other words, our population is growing by about 2.6 million people per year. All right, give me the next stat. About 305,000 people were baptized by Southern Baptist churches in 2015. So last year, all of the Southern Baptist Convention churches combined baptized about 305,000. Now, I realize there are other denominations, other evangelicals that are reaching Christ. So I don't, I'm not naive enough to think that that's the only the amount of people that were saved. I get there more, but we're the largest and we usually reach the most and baptize the most. And so for a convention of, of 16 million people, 
We baptized about 305,000 last year. Now, this is a whole other idea, a whole other sermon maybe. That's one person for every 51 members. So it takes 51 of us to reach one person in a year. Now, you can kind of draw your own conclusions about that. But here's the bottom line. Pull the next stat up. That means if you factor in the growth of our country compared to the number of people we are baptizing, and you do the math, about 2.3 million people are being added to our country each year that do not accept or do not know Christ. You understand what I'm saying? We're losing the battle is the point, folks. You get that? Population increase is doing this. Baptism is doing this. And the number's getting farther and farther and farther and farther apart. I can say with, with absolute certainty, and of course the need in Luke 10 was great, but I believe, just based on statistics and what's going on, not only in our country, but around the world, I think the need is greater than ever. I think we live in a moment in history, and we can say that in, that in any other time in history, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Isn't it amazing that 2,000 years later, this absolutely applies to our life? I mean, there are the numbers right there. 2.6 million a year and only 305,000 baptisms. The, 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 the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. We are sent because there is great need. So you say, I never quite thought about those numbers. I didn't know we were losing the battle like that. I didn't know we were kind of getting farther and farther behind. What, what do we need to do about it? We'll pull the scripture back up if you would please. Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others. He sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Now, at the end of verse 2 and the beginning of verse 3, we're going to see two very clear commands. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And then verse 3, go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Here's truth number 2. We're sent because there's great need, yes, but the numbers are getting worse. So number two, we need to pray for more people to be sent. We need to pray for more people to be sent. Now, there are kind of two components at the end of verse two and the beginning of verse three. Very simply, we're told to pray and go. We're told in Scripture here, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. Now, we're very good as a society of talking. We're very good at planning. We're very good at coming up with strategies and with executing those strategies and kind of getting things done. We're, we're very good at those things, and those are good, and we're blessed to be able to do that. We should continue to do that, but the problem, I fear, is that we spend so much time planning and preparing and coming up with strategies and what we want to do that at the very end of all of it, we spend a couple of minutes in token prayer, and we think that's enough. That's not the model of Scripture. See, if we're doing things on our own power without praying and without the power of the Spirit, we've really missed the truth here. We are sent by being Spirit-empowered first. Not by figuring it out ourselves and asking the Lord to kind of bless what we came up with. We just forget to pray, don't we? So one of the things we've done here at church is to try to come up with some ways of encouraging people more to pray. 
So we've created these nights of prayer. We've done these about every couple of months. We've done several of them now. And we don't give you an agenda. We tell you to show up. We give you a sheet of paper where it kind of gives you some things you can pray about. And we ask you to come and pray as long as you want to and then just quietly leave. And there's lots of people that come and pray. So with that same idea in mind, we've done something a little bit different. On October the 30th, and we may have that slide to pull up, we're going to do a night of prayer and worship. I want you to write that night down. You need to have this night in your calendar. It's a Sunday night. We rarely do things on Sunday night. We, we give that to your family. That's a strategic decision we've made. But this night on October the 30th at 6 p.m. is an opportunity for you to come and worship and pray. So we're going to have a, a specific time of prayer. We're going to have our praise team here singing. And it's just going to be a time for you to worship and a time for you to pray and to call upon the Lord to do great things in our church. Now, I'm not going to call you out, and I'm not going to ask you to say this, and I, I just want to kind of, kind of cut you off at the pass here. Don't, for one minute, think in your heart that I don't have time to go. Because what you're saying is, I don't have time to pray, I don't have time to worship. Okay, if we don't take prayer seriously... If we don't pray that God's going to do some pretty incredible things in our midst and we just keep operating in our own power, guess what's going to keep happening? The numbers are going to keep getting bigger. The gap's going to keep getting larger. The harvest is going to keep getting greater. And the workers will continue to be few. Some of you are thinking, yes. I will, I will definitely be there to pray. I want to pray for that. I want to pray for, for people that are lost. Here, here's a question you should ask yourself. When's the last time you, by name, prayed for a lost person? That's a good question to ask. When's the last time I prayed for a lost person? If you can't think of it, you, you probably need to kind of reconsider your time of prayer. But some of you are thinking, yeah, I want to pray more. I, I want to spend more time in prayer to ask the Lord to harvest the sin. And, but I want to be careful because I don't want to get us into this place where all we're going to do is pray. Because there's kind of two components. The Lord says we need to pray. Yes, that's crucial. That's important. We do that first. That's foundational for everything else that happens. But look again at the beginning of verse 3. Pull that up if you would for me. Luke chapter 10, verse 3. What word does he start with? Go. Right? Yes, we need to be praying. Yes, we need to be trusting. Yes, we want to deepen our faith and our walk and call upon the Lord. But, but when the rubber meets the road, guess what? We got to go. We are called to action. I've said this already several times in this sermon. Christianity is not a passive faith. It's an active faith. It reminds me of Matthew chapter 28, 19 and 20. Those of you that have it memorized. Matthew 28, 19. Therefore... Sit around and talk for a little while about what you want to do and come up with a good plan. Is that what it says? No, it says, therefore what? Go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? There's a, there's a clear command here. We need to be praying about and bathing in these things in prayer and, and, and spending time calling upon the name of the Lord. But at some point, we got to go. We got to kind of get up out of our comfort zone and do something that's uncomfortable for the sake of Christ. You know, we were talking last week and I kind of made the comment about being sent as individuals and how that relates to our church. And if we're, if we're sent as individuals, then that means we're sent as a church. And so I kind of asked the question, I kind of just kind of threw this out for you guys to ponder and think a little bit about what would it mean if we were a sending church? 
What would it mean if we actually sent people out in the world? And I made this statement. I had several people want to talk to me afterwards. What if our goal was to shrink in attendance because we were sending so many people out to be church planners or full-time missionaries or to do the work of the Lord? What if our numbers went down because so many people were going out? What if we looked up in a year and we were half the size? Now, usually when that happens in a church, that's a bad, that's a bad thing. Something's wrong somewhere. And that's happening, by the way, across the country in most churches. Numbers are in great decline because of unhealthiness. But what if our church was so healthy and we so embraced this idea of sending that we looked up in, in a year or two years or three years and we said, what happened to, to John and Susie? Did, have you seen them lately? And instead of saying, you know, they kind of fell out of church, they just quit going, hadn't got, they keep saying they want to come back, but they just kind of sit at home on Sunday. What if instead of saying that, we said, oh yeah, John and Susie, they felt the call of the Lord to go plant a church, and they moved back to their town and such and such, so they could plant this church to reap people for Christ. We would embrace that, wouldn't we? We would celebrate that. We get into this model sometimes of wanting to just kind of grow our own numbers for the sake of the kingdom of Rosemont. It's not about the kingdom of Rosemont. It's about the kingdom of Christ. And if, if he sent us, that means we can't remain where we are, doesn't it? Amy was in TJ Maxx this week, and she had this just fascinating conversation. I wrote it down because she came home and was very excited to tell me about it. She was in TJ Maxx, and our, our family's going to Zambia in December. We've got some other families going. And so you have to wear, the ladies have to wear certain things in Zambia. The, the, the type of uh, skirt they wear. And so she was going and looking for these skirts. And so she's talking to a lady that works at TJ Maxx. And she was asking the lady about these specific clothes, and they kind of got into this discussion about why do you need these things. And Amy said, well, we're taking our family to Zambia. We're going to go work in an orphanage. And the lady said to her, you must be from that church. And I was like. Amy was like, you know, what, what do you mean? What church? And the lady said, well, there was another lady in here who's going to South Asia, right? We're sending the team to South Asia in just a few weeks. We're taking five ladies with us. First time we've ever done that. First time, as far as we know, a women's team has ever gone into this city that we were. They're going to do incredible work. The ladies are going to go are going to be, it's just going to be unbelievable what they do, but they've got to wear certain things too. And so one of the ladies had gone into TJ Maxx and it struck up a conversation telling her she's going to South Asia. And they, so this lady in TJ Maxx kind of put it together that this church is doing some incredible things. Listen to what she said to Amy. She said, your church is going to be empty because you're sending so many people out. That's what she said. Yes. That ought to be who we are. Why wouldn't that be our goal? Why wouldn't we look up one day and everybody's serving the Lord somewhere? You say, what, Adam, what would you do if everybody left? I would preach until the last person was gone, then I'd get on the boat with them and go, that's what I'd do. <laughs> It'd be me and you. We'd be the last two, and then when you get ready to go, I'd just go along with you. That's what I'd do. And what an amazing thing to save a church. You know, we're serious about the gospel. Christ called us to pray and to go, and he sent us out. And guess what? We're actually going to be serious about our faith, and we're going to do some incredible things for the Lord. But now we need to end it with, with just being very careful here, because here's what we like to do in our Bible studies and in our time of prayer and in our lives and in Sunday school. We like to kind of tie everything up with this really nice, pretty little bow and everything's happy and oh, it's a good ending to the story. That's how we like it to be, right? I want you to listen very carefully to what Christ says in verse three. Pull the scripture up if you would. Go, right? There's the command. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. 
Here's truth number three. We are sent with the understanding that God's call may not be easy. We are sent with the understanding that God's call may not be easy. Mission and obedience to the Lord always involves risk. It could be emotional risk. It could be physical risk. It could be spiritual risk. But you can rest assured that when we take the light of Christ into the darkness, the enemy is going to rise up against us. 1 Peter 5, 8, I read this verse pretty regularly. I think we even have it on the screen. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You know, if we're not careful, we allow our fear to keep us from being sent, don't we? Here's the problem with that mindset. We don't see it anywhere in Scripture. You you think about Christ. You think about his example. You think about how he took risk. You think about all the dangers that he encountered. You think about the, the fear that he dealt with. You think about his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, if it's your will, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. If Christ had desire for us to take the easy path... He never would have walked to the cross. You think about examples of of people in Scripture that have given their lives. You think about people in in centuries before us, in centuries uh, just recently, and even in the world today that have been persecuted, that have lived in fear, that have martyred, been martyred for their faith, and yet they pressed on, and yet there's this interesting disconnect. Christ and the people that followed Christ and the early church and the middle centuries and the people that live today all around the world have done this. They've sacrificed. They've given. Even in fear, they've gone. And yet for some strange reason, over time, Christians in our little world have become complacent. And we stopped pushing and we stopped taking risk in favor of an easier path. I think the next time you decide you don't want to obey the Lord because of fear, you ought to read verse 3 again. Christ says, I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. Now, I'm not an expert on wolves. I'm not an expert on sheep. I'm not a shepherd. But I get this analogy. When sheep are among wolves... Bad things usually happen to the sheep. Pretty clear, isn't it? But that's not a nice little neat bow. We can pray back and go home and feel happy. Well, I want to give you just a little bit of biblical truth. Our calling as believers has never been to safety. It's always been to obedience. Moses when he was sent, by the way, and the Bible uses that word, we'll, we'll get there eventually, you're going to hear that word with Moses. When he was sent back into Egypt to confront Pharaoh, to lead these people out, to run from the Egyptian army, to walk through the Red Sea, when he backed up against the sea and the army, and none of that stuff was fun or easy. In fact, it's very dangerous and scary, but our calling is not to safety, it's to obedience. Gideon... 
told to fight the mighty Midianite army, and he had 32,000. He was way outnumbered at 32,000, but the Lord called him to reduce his number down to just a few hundred. And then he said, oh, by the way, Gideon, your, your, your strategy for defeating this army is you're going to encircle them with some torches and clay pots and horns, and when I give you the command, you're going to break the pots, show the light, and blow the horns. I bet Gideon was saying, "Woo! That's a that's a great strategy to beat this army. It didn't sound fun or exciting. In fact, he was probably afraid and it sounded very dangerous, but our calling isn't to safety, it's to obedience. Christ, who, who willingly sacrificed, who willingly gave his life, who was arrested and tortured and beaten and crucified for you. He didn't do that because that was fun or easy. But his calling wasn't to safety, it was to obedience. You say, this is a pretty scary thing to understand. It it is scary. But there is a little bit of a silver lining because I want you to listen to what Christ explains to these people. See, he sends them out as sheep among wolves, just like he does us. He sends us out to be faithful even in dangerous moments. But he sends us out with the very clear mandate of our calling and the very clear understanding that as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he will be with us. And he will walk beside us. And he doesn't always calm the storm, but he gives us the strength to persevere. Hudson Taylor was a famous missionary to China in the mid-1800s. He spent 51 years in China. This was a, this was a time now, remember, when, it, when a person got on a boat to go to China, you probably never saw them again. No contact, no phones, obviously no letters could go that far. Hudson Taylor was responsible for bringing 800 missionaries to the country. He was directly responsible for 18,000 conversions. And eternity eternity will only tell how many people got saved because of the people that were converted sharing their faith. And so on and so on and so on. Here's what Hudson Taylor said. He said, only by fervent prayer can the cold hearts of Christians be fanned into a flame of concern on behalf of a lost world for which Christ died. I read that quote and I wondered, how many of us still have cold hearts? There is a lost and dying world that desperately needs the truth. The question isn't about the need, the need is great. The question isn't about the calling, the calling is clear all through scripture we have been sent. The only question is our obedience What has God sent you to do? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. It's very clear, Lord. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. You have sent us out, Lord, in the power of the Spirit to be evangelistic, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world and across the street, Lord. 
It's not about the calling. It's not about the need. It's very simply about our obedience. We are confronted with this truth that we have been called, that we have been sent, that we have been empowered by the Spirit. The question now becomes, will we obey and go? Or just within the, the, the quietness of our soul right now, Father, just speak very clearly to us and answer the question, what have you sent us to do? Even if it involves risk, Lord, even if it involves difficulty, even if it involves struggle, what have you sent us to do, Father? Empower us with the Spirit. Remind us of your calling. Give us the ability to trust you more and more. And then send us into the world to accomplish great things for your kingdom. It's the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. You can stand. The altar is open. If you want to come and pray about being sent, if you want to talk with me about salvation or church membership, this is your time to respond. You come as we sing together. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.